Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. Kids, I hope you are having a good summer. We are grateful that you are in worship with us. How many of you kids had fun at Summer Blast this week? I see some over here had some fun at Summer Blast. I see a college law student had fun at Summer Blast. Uh, That's good. Uh, Adults, uh, thank you so much for Summer Blast. It was a great week. We'll hear some uh, pictures and testimony in the weeks to come from our uh, time gathering together. For those who don't know, Summer Blast is a week-long kind of kids activity, Bible study that we do in the park. And we just finished that this past week in Captain Tilly, Rufus King, and then here which reminds me, we will not have fellowship downstairs after service today because we are having a picnic as our summer night activity at Captain Tilly Park. And so when we dismiss here, make your way to Captain Tilly if you'd like to join us. Um, It's the same place. It's not very big park, so it'll be easy to find us. The same place that we did Summer Blast right there by the playground. Uh, It is bring your own food. And so stop and grab a sandwich or something. Uh, and drinks because they don't have grills, and so we're not grilling out. So bring your own food, but come hang out with us, allow the kids to play, and hopefully interact with some people and new friends that we had met this week. So thank you all uh, just for your faithful service. As we turn to Genesis chapter 40, we're continuing in our series where we're just looking at the life of Joseph. We're just looking at him in a character study We are not studying Genesis 37 to Genesis 50, which holds the story of Joseph. We're not studying that verse by verse. We're not even studying it chapter by chapter. We're taking a few character traits from the life of Joseph so that we can learn for ourselves. And so our text today is actually Genesis 40 and Genesis 41. We're not going to read all of it. We're not going to study all of it. But it's through those texts and the narratives within that text that I want us to Uh, to be challenged by God's word today. However, I am going to read Genesis 40 in its entirety. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to be there with me in Genesis 40. If you do not have a Bible, you can grab one of the Bibles from the seat back in front of you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which is one of the black hardback Bibles in front of you, and we are on page 33. Parents with kids with you, this is a great opportunity to, to scoot in close to them and allow them to read along with you and help guide them even during our time of worship. If you're with me in Genesis 40, simply say amen. Amen. Genesis 41. Sometime after this, Joseph is thrown in prison. Joseph's in prison. So sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. The pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended to them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with it its own interpretation." When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in the master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to them, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. 
So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, and he said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches, and as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Pause for a second. For the kids in the room, you have an area to draw. Um, Maybe an idea for drawing from the passage is maybe this picture of a vine with some grapes. Just a thought for something for you to draw from today's story. Verse 12, then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house or prison." For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered him and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days, and in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. And on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. As we continue into chapter 41, not reading it, but summarizing it, we see that some time had passed, two whole years to be exact, and then Pharaoh has a dream. And then that's when the cupbearer remembers, oh yeah, there's this Hebrew that I met in prison, Pharaoh has a dream, Long story short, Joseph interprets that dream, and then Joseph is placed into power. We'll begin to unpack that in the next couple of weeks. But here's the main point from today's sermon, that if you're writing something down, maybe want to take notes on your phone or somewhere else, that I want us to see really up from the story of Joseph from Genesis 37 all the way through to Genesis 41, where he is placed in a position of power. Here's kind of the main point that we can be encouraged by. That, G, or excuse me, that Joseph uh, was being positioned and prepared to be propelled into power. That's a tongue twister. Say that fast, kids. But here it is. Uh, of course, a good Baptist pastor has to put as many P's in here as possible. Joseph was being positioned and prepared to be propelled into power. When we look at the life of Joseph... We see a story where we're going to see next week where Joseph himself claims that through every tragedy over the 13 years from when he was 17 years old, when his brothers betrayed him, sold him into slavery, to 13 years later, 
in chapter 41 where he's 30 years old and he is put into a position of power that all of that through tragedy and tribulation, through wrongly being sold, wrongly being accused, thrown into a pit in prison, being forgotten, all of that was God sovereignly working in Joseph's life to bring him to this moment that we will unpack in more detail, like I said, next week. But this moment where God has uniquely positioned him to be a saving vessel of not only Egypt, but God's covenant people. And we read the story of Joseph and we look at the end of the story and we go, well, it makes it all worth it. But I want us to do our best to not just read Genesis 37 to Genesis 41, which takes us maybe 20 to 30 minutes, but look at that time span as 13 years, and imagine the journey that Joseph went on in those 13 years. Imagine the journey that Joseph went on where he was questioning God and not understanding what God was doing. And then imagine the trust that even in those moments that we see Joseph have, and might that be a challenge to us, that what if, like Joseph, God has and is positioning you and preparing you to propel you to be used powerfully for God's honor and glory. And here's the question, first question, three questions I want to ask around that truth. What if God has placed you in a valley? And what I mean by valley, as uh, Psalms 23, valley is described as a valley of darkness or death. It's a place that is, it's a place we don't want to be. When we think about valleys in comparison to mountaintop moments in our life, valleys are the negative. But what if, God has placed you in a valley simply to help someone else in the valley. When we look at the story of Joseph, as it is with other people that we might encounter, and we see sometimes people are in positions that they are because of their own doing. Right? Uh, this week, uh, some of you, many of you know that I served on a criminal jury that just ended this past week. And the reality is the verdict that came about was a result of this person's own doing. But for Joseph, that's not the case. Joseph is in prison. Joseph is sold into slavery. Joseph is where he is, not because of his own doing. Now, to some degree, he was an arrogant 17-year-old who flaunted that he was better than his brothers to his brothers, which instigated them to sell him into slavery. So, I mean, he's not perfect, but you get the idea that Joseph is not in the valley because of his own doing, but it's because God has sovereignly placed him there, not for Joseph, but for someone else. And in the story of chapter 40, he's specifically done that because of the cupbearer, because of the baker. And he's specifically done that in chapter 41 so that he would have access to Pharaoh, which would then give him access to where God wanted him to be. And here's what I want to challenge us with. What if God takes you through a valley in your life just so that you will come across someone else who needs you to be there to help them? Do we trust God in those moments? Do we trust God's goodness in those moments? Meaning that it's one thing for us to have consequences in our life, which we all do have consequences in our life that are our own doing. But sometimes things happen to us that are out of our control. And oftentimes we might be able to point the finger at someone else, as Joseph could here. He could point the finger at his brothers. He could point the finger at the uh, lying wife who accused him of something he didn't do. He could point the fingers at other people. 
But at the end of the day, God was sovereignly working in those moments to put Joseph right where he wanted Joseph to be. He was positioning him in order to use him. And what if God has uniquely, and actually my challenge isn't what if, my challenge is I believe God and his sovereignty is always, despite our actions and despite the actions of others, is always has us uniquely positioned to be used for his honor and glory. How does that change our perspective on maybe a valley we might find ourselves in now or might find ourselves in tomorrow? How does that change how we go about our day to day knowing that what if God has me here, even if I personally may not have deserved it, Joseph didn't deserve it. What if you're facing persecution or facing an issue or just simply where you are because of not your own doing? Do we still trust God's sovereignty enough that he is in control in those moments and might possibly, even in his plan, have us there in order to help someone else? Would that be worth it? And it's a challenging question because I think there's many times in my flesh I might say, I don't think it is worth it. I would much rather be on the mountaintop. But it's a, it's a place when we sang a minute ago, and if you notice, the songs were very intentional to the idea of the text, that God, even as we talked about, you provide the fire, I'll provide the sacrifice, we're saying, here is my life. And the next song, as we sung about the metaphor of new wine, it's a, even if we don't fully understand the metaphor, even though they have theological ideas, You get the idea of the song of what it means to transform me into a vessel that is surrendered to you. Transform me into someone who says, my life is yours, it is not mine. And if you choose to take me through the valley of the shadow of death, if you choose to take me through imprisonment, you choose to take me through prison, you choose to take me into slavery to a place where I can't even imagine, if you choose to take me there in order to be used for your glory, so be it. What does it look like to have a life surrendered like that? That's a challenge that I am walking away with from the life of Joseph from these texts. That God, it's easy for me to say, God, I want to be used by you for mighty things. But what if God's wanting you to do something simple and something that is not necessarily the journey that you want to go on? It's easy for us to read the life of Joseph and go, well, I'll do that if that means I get to become basically Pharaoh. If that means I get to come, become king, then so be it. I'll do it. Well, but Joseph didn't understand that. See, we're not, Joseph wasn't faithful because he knew without a shadow of a doubt he was going to be Pharaoh's right hand. He didn't know that. And I imagine 13 years in slavery and prison didn't build his confidence. But what we take away from the life of Joseph is that he was still trusting God without knowing the outcome. And that's what I want to challenge us with. What if God has placed you in a valley simply to help someone else in the valley? What if God has placed you in the valley and you don't understand why? What if God has placed you in the valley and there's no promise and guarantee that you're going to become king? Will you still trust God in the valley? Will you still trust him and walk with him and understand an important truth from 2 Corinthians 1 where Paul writes and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
Another way to understand, to interpret this text is that no matter what we go through, that God comforts us, but he allows our trials and our tribulations and the comfort that comes from those and the experience that comes from those to allow us to relate to others who are going through the exact same thing so that we can help them also. Joseph, because of his experience of being humbled and broken, was able to meet and comfort others who have been humbled and broken. And so we understand that Joseph was being positioned in prison for a very, to meet a very specific people, but he was also being prepared for what was to come. He was being prepared for what was to come. But before we get to that, I have a second question, because this really dives into the heart of the matter for me even more. What if God uses the means of betrayal by others to put you in your valley? It's one thing to be in a valley and trust God and to allow God to transform our hearts and transform our faith in the valley. But I want us to look at the life of Joseph and notice every step along the way, it was because of the betrayal of others that put him there. And I don't know about you, but if I were to write out my life and I were to say, if I was betrayed by my family and thrown into prison, I was betrayed by a master that I'd been faithful to. If I was betrayed by a cupbearer who I had rightfully interpreted and prophesied that his life would be saved and the other person would not, I would think that that person would remember me. But verse 40 or chapter 40 ends with, he was forgotten by the cupbearer. He was betrayed by the cupbearer. Now, thankfully, he was remembered down the road two years later. But, but the idea is, Every step, he got more and more into the valley because of other people's actions and their act of betrayal in his life that continue to push him down the road. And I don't know about you, but my cry might be, God, I don't understand. Why would you allow people to continue to do this to me? I am not, I did not cause this. I did not ask for this. I did not do something to make this happen. Why does this keep happening in my life? 13 years a betrayal and a hardship, betrayal and a hardship. And see, Joseph had really two options, at least for today's text. Option number one is he might have gotten bitter and cynical and angry, and we don't know that he didn't. There might have been seasons along the way that he did. But instead, we see Scripture shows a person who continued to trust God along the way, who continued to lean on God along the way. Even notice in chapter 40, I believe it's verse 8, where the guys are talking about their dreams, and Joseph said this, do not the interpretations belong to God? And then he makes the statement, please tell them to me. What's he saying there? I can't interpret your dream, but God can interpret your dream. And guess what? He and I are pretty close. As if to say, I walk with that God. I'm not angry at that God. I haven't turned my back on that God because everyone else has turned their back on me. I haven't blamed him, but instead I trust him that deeper and deeper into this valley that he will never leave me nor forsake me and he is there with me. And when the moment comes, he goes, you can tell me your dream and I can trust God to interpret that because I talk with God and he talks with me. What does it look like to be in a valley 
and you're there because of the betrayal of others. But instead of allowing that to destroy your trust and faith in a sovereign God, it actually propels you to it because you can't trust anyone else but God. Can't trust your brothers. You can't trust your master. You can't trust other inmates. Who else is there to trust? And in that moment, he could have abandoned his trust and faith in God, but he turns to God. What I love about the life of Joseph, it's a story of faith, not perfection, but a story of faith from one who grew his faith in trials and tribulations. And it challenges me that when I'm in those seasons, what does it look like to trust God and trust that he is sovereign and in control? Which leads me to this question. Will you trust that God is positioning you and preparing you wherever you are today? Will you trust that he is positioning you, meaning he has you where he wants you? Yes, you could probably point to many earthly events that got you to where you are. But even amidst that, Joseph could have pointed to all these betrayals. He could have pointed not at himself, or maybe at times he could have pointed at himself. But above all of that, in God's sovereignty, he trusted that God was positioning him and that God was preparing him for a purpose. And might we see, as we look at the life of Joseph, that God likewise is positioning you and preparing you for his purpose. Now, I don't know what that is, and it may take 13 years to reveal that. It may take 30 years to reveal that. I don't really know. But here's what I do know is that the Bible teaches that God is a sovereign God who is faithful to his covenant people. He promises to never leave nor forsake us and that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion and that he is working in all of our lives from this day to eternity and is continuing to prepare us and position us for his glory. Do you recognize that where you are, even if you don't want to be where you are, that you can trust God where you are? And then he'll continue to lead you through the moment and where you are. Do you trust that God is positioning you and preparing you for his glory? Now, when we get to Genesis 41, we didn't read this text, but I want to read three verses or four verses. Genesis 41, 41 through 44. After he has interpreted the dreams, after God has given him favor with Pharaoh, Pharaoh makes him second in command over all of Egypt. He answers to no one but Pharaoh. Major turn of events. But look what it says. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up your hand or foot in the land of Egypt. The story of Joseph begins in chapter 37 with Joseph not interpreting two dreams, but he himself having two dreams. Remember those dreams? Basically, they, were, they went like this. Joseph was going to reign and rule over his brothers and over his family. Those were his dreams. This is the fulfillment of those dreams. And we talked about as a 17-year-old boy, God had given him a, these dreams. And I want you to begin to notice something as you maybe, if you go back and read through this story throughout the weeks to come and maybe even this week, I want you to begin to see all this double repetition. Joseph had two dreams. 
Joseph uh, was betrayed by numbers of people. He was interpreted a cupbearer and uh, the baker's dreams. Pharaoh had two dreams. We're going to see soon that twice he tests his brothers. And there's this repetition of double that begins to happen. And within the dreams, it speaks to God confirming them. And Joseph even says that to Pharaoh in chapter 41. Pharaoh, you've had this dream twice to guarantee that this is of God and not just an accident. And in this double repetition, though, the dream comes fulfilled from when he had the dreams to now. But do you remember when we talked about Joseph? I mentioned it a little bit just a moment ago. But remember his posture as a 17-year-old when he had those dreams? He began to flaunt it to his brothers. Ha, guess what dream I had last night? You ever woke up, had it from a nap, and like told uh, maybe a spouse or a friend, like, hey, I had a weird dream. We've talked about dreams before. But imagine waking up, going to your older brothers and saying, hey, guess what, guys? I had a dream last night. All of you bowed down and worshiped me. Like, imagine how that's going to go over. Well, you, you don't have to imagine. They sold him into slavery. And they're like, okay, we'll find out about that. Well, let's see. But then it happens. But the point is the posture. As a 17-year-old, he was an arrogant kid who said, look what God's going to do in me. And God had to prepare him for the dream. See, God places dreams in us and God places callings in us and he has to position us and prepare us for those. And it may take six months, but chances are it's gonna take more like six years or 13 years. And as we mentioned a few weeks ago, also in the life of Paul, from the time he was saved to the time he went out on planting churches in his first missionary journey, it was somewhere between 12 and 18 years. Like there's this time that God prepares us and in like In our microwave society, we want it to happen quickly. But maybe God will keep you where you are for a decade or more in order to use you and prepare you for what he has for your life. Are you and I patient enough with God to allow that to happen? But imagine, I was reading Genesis 41, preparing for this week, that text where he put the ring on him and he went around riding around the city and they're like, bowed knee to Joseph. Imagine if Joseph hadn't been humbled in the last 13 years. Imagine he was still that 17-year-old kid. I really think Joseph would have royally messed this up. We said a couple weeks ago that the light that is on us is greater than the light that is in us. We will end up causing disaster to happen. Meaning if the spotlight and the stage and the platform that God has given us is greater than the spirit, the light of Christ in us, then in our immaturity and in our arrogance, we will often use that stage for great harm. But God had a dream for Joseph, not to use his position of power for harm, but for salvation. And before he could use him publicly, he had to prepare him privately. And he positioned him and he prepared him so that when the moment at the right moment He was right where he needed to be. As long as he was faithful to God, God pushed him forward and used him powerfully for his kingdom. Do you trust God enough in the valley to walk with him all the way through the valley in order to be used by God on the other side of the valley? This is easy for us to do when the valley is a short valley. But what if it's 13 years of imprisonment? Wrongfully so. When we look at the story of Joseph, not only am I encouraged by the life of Joseph and just the challenge to trust that day by day God is 
working in my heart and preparing me and positioning me for his glory. But there's few stories, I believe, in the Old Testament that point us clearer to Jesus than the life of Joseph. Just the ideas and the allusions to Jesus within this story is beautiful. The idea that he was in prison and then three days later, I want you to catch the dreams. Two dreams, three days later, that there is going to be one who's going to lift it up for salvation and one who was lifted up to die. Do you understand that when we think about Jesus, that when he was lifted up on the cross, literally the baker was hung on a tree. And in the same way, Christ was hung on a tree so that three days later we might be lifted up for life. When we think about Joseph being positioned wrongly because of betrayal for the salvation of others, Jesus was positioned by betrayal wrongly for the salvation of others. When we look at the journey of Joseph, we look at the journey of Jesus, we can see servants who were faithful, one a man and one a God and 100% man, being used faithfully by God for the salvations of others. That they themselves went trials and tribulations through betrayals in order at the right moment they may be lifted up for the salvation of all people. And so when we study the story of Joseph, we walk away for some practical, biblical, and challenging truths of character. But we also walk away understanding that Jacob, the people, the family of Jacob, Israel, was saved because of Joseph. That they were not saved because of their own doing, but they were saved because of Joseph. And in the same way, you and I are not saved because of our own doing, but we're saved because of Jesus. That we have the ability to worship a king because he was faithful that he was betrayed, that he was hung on a tree, and three days later he was raised to life so that we might be saved. We study the story of Joseph. I'm so encouraged by seeing God's faithfulness in his life. But it also points me to the life of Jesus, that because of his faithfulness, you and I may have life. And so as a challenge in closing, I encourage you to look at the life of Joseph and walk away. Can I trust God the same way Joseph did? But more than that, might you see the faithfulness of Jesus? And might you see the faithfulness, and because of that, that you and I have life eternal through faith in Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, we are grateful for your goodness. We are grateful for your mercy. We are grateful that when you were betrayed wrongly, that you humbly went to the cross. That you humbly died on that cross, taking on our sins. That you were in the grave, and three days later, you were raised to life. And you did all of that for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of the world. And so I, as a recipient of that salvation, say thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your grace that I could not have earned it nor deserved it, but because of you, Jesus, I have life eternal. I have the forgiveness of my sins. You are my everything, and I'm grateful for you, Jesus. And I pray that, Spirit of God, that you would fill me and you would allow me to learn from the story of Joseph and from your word to challenge me 
that you are sovereign and in control. And no matter where I am and no matter what's going on, you are in control. And I can walk with you and I can trust you. And I can trust that you're working in my life. And I say, here is my life. Use it for your glory. And if that means taking me through a valley, so be it. Because I just want to be a vessel that is used by you, God. So Father, I pray over this church that I love, my brothers and sisters in Christ, my family, and I ask that you would fill us all with your spirit and encourage us to trust you, that many in this room are going through some hard valleys. Many many in this room are going through valleys that they didn't put themselves in, but others put them in that valley because of their actions. I pray that you would make yourself so evident and close to them that they would know that they are not alone in this valley but you are sovereign and that you can be trusted would you walk with them and would you bring them through to victory and would you use them powerfully for your honor and your glory might you comfort them so that they can comfort others who are in that same valley we trust you we don't worship you because you guarantee we'll never have valleys. We worship you because you met us in our valleys. And you died for us to redeem us for all eternity. So we don't worship you based off our circumstances. We worship you for who you are. And no matter what our circumstances are, we continue to trust you and worship you. That's the God we serve. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God that saved me. And we praise you for that. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2. Goffles Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.